0: Hey everybody, 401 Jake here. This episode today is a fun one. I had my good buddy Colody Mitri on. We talk a little bit about his experience as a consultant for Deloitte and what he kind of went through as a participant in their mega $7 billion 401k plan. Um, we also talk about his situation. He's transitioning out of Deloitte right now and looking for something new. Kind of interesting with his background. So have a good, good time listening today. Thanks for being here. what's going on everybody For one Jake here I've got a guest today in person now I know it's corona we have been around each other enough to know that we're both healthy and not sick so we're doing this today not on zoom which is fun so who with me today is collodeon Mitri, and he's not a 401 k advisor he's nothing to do with 401 ks but I think it's going to be a fun interview because he his background is in a lot of different things a lot of financial and he's a CPA mm-hmm. so We're gonna talk a little bit about that and kind of his story, and then I wanna hear kind of his experiences as a foreign k participant in a mega plan with a large, um, one of the top six consulting firms in the country, not the big four, because he's more of a consultant than on the tax side or whatever. So, Claudine, introduce yourself. Tell us your quick, I know you've got this massive, long story, but tell us more about your, your Genesis story, like where you came from, why you have such a cool name, all those kind of things.
1: So with the name, like, Clodian, it's not very uh, Utahan or Chicagoan. I was actually born and raised in Albania. My family uh, immigrated to the U.S. in 1997. So we've been here over 20 years. And But with me, you can definitely, I, I feel very Americanized, but as soon as my mom and dad say a
0: single word, you can definitely off the bat tell they're foreign. Um, <laughs> But Well, the I, best thing is you told me your name, how to remember it was Nickelodeon without the Nick. Exactly. <laughs> and the
1: funny thing is, my roommate freshman year was named Nick, I was Clodian, our name
0: tags were together, It just looked like a poor spelling of Nickelodeon <laughs> at Purdue. Nice. I love it. Yeah, and when we first met, quick story, and then you can keep going. We, uh, I, someone in the neighborhood told me that, that Clodian moved in, and I was kind of training on my own, and I do a lot of riding and running, as you all know. And... I reached out to Clodian and I said, hey, I'm not super crazy fast, but I can hold my own sometimes. And so he said, sure, I'm going to the track in the morning, which was an indoor track in the middle of winter. And so picked him up and we went to the track and we warmed up and then he said, all right, let's go. And it was like a dead full sprint faster than I run in like 10 years. And like, that's how I got to know Clodian and we've been friends since. So, yeah.
1: Jake reached out to me to provide some context in the <laughs> middle of a marathon build. So it was a, <laughs> a quick zero to a hundred, and uh, but it was awesome. Since then, Jake's become one of my closest friends, um, a mentor, an athlete in, in the business world, and um, it's definitely been a good uh, relationship these past six months.
0: Yeah, it's been fun.
1: And now he's kicking my butt on the bike and running. So no, uh,
0: only one day so far. So <laughs> we'll work on that. But so So you so you moved in '97 to, to Chicago. Yep right and then stayed there and then bounced around a few different fun areas like Hawaii and others and then kind of how did that all come together so now you're here yeah it's
1: honestly been very interesting when I uh, graduated school I, I had big dreams right I wanted to go to school in California to Berkeley or Stanford I you know everyone dreams of California especially being from Chicago but I'm very close to my family, and I, I didn't I couldn't get the guts to leave. So I ended up going to Purdue and uh, Marquette University. So within driving distance from West Lafayette, Indiana, and then Milwaukee, Wisconsin. But then after I finished school, I worked in Chicago for about a year. Um, I started with the Deloitte uh, advisory practice. I got some really good experience, did that for a couple of years. And um, to be a little bit more strategic with my career, I decided to try to get some of that international business experience. So I stayed with Deloitte, but they had a global deployment program and I got a year of experience working with US GAAP and IFRS uh, advisory and consulting work in uh, Germany. So my wife and I, we literally had our daughter in November, moved to Germany that January. So it broke my parents' heart that I was seeing their first grandchild and moving it, to a different country. Um, So we had an amazing time in Germany. We learned a lot about how business is handled abroad Um, because you know how major corporations, we we see a lot of what Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies are doing here in the States and the accounting and finance uh, challenges that other companies globally are experiencing are so unique. Uh, They definitely don't follow a cookie cutter approach. So it was interesting to get inside to see how those companies are handling some of those uh, accounting and finance challenges. After a year of that, we decided to move back. We moved back to Chicago. I say that loosely. We kind of spent six months or so uh, living out of Airbnbs, hotels with family. We spent some time in Seattle. Utah, Chicago, a little bit of time, Boston, California, because we were trying to use this transition period to figure out where exactly we wanted to live. Now imagine doing that with a newborn child and a one and a half year old. So God bless my wife's heart because no, this would have been possible without her. Um, And then we decided to make the most of our last Bit of uh, freedom before I guess we settled down, and we ended up moving to Hawaii for a little over six months. We were on the island of Kauai. We thought it'd be a fun place to you know take take a little mini sabbatical and uh it's early. that's early in your
0: career. but well, I like it.
1: I, I, the way I look at it, it's like I, I want to work my entire life because I enjoy the type of work that I do. I don't want to slave away and retire and then be bored. I want to find that balance between working hard my entire life because I enjoy the type of work that I do, while also enjoying
0: my kids, my wife now at the different stages of their life. So yeah, that, and that's so that's a key point. I want to talk about that because as a four hundred and one k advisor, I mean our target market is the U S. Mm-hmm. and we're seeing this huge shift of that mm-hmm. mindset to I don't want to just work, work, work my life away and hate every minute of it in hopes of retirement one day, this glorious picture of living in Hawaii at that point. You kind of flipped it around, tried Hawaii, got that kind of, I don't know, out of your system. I lived in Hawaii for a couple years too during school. It's a little bit different situation, but um, having a career in Hawaii is very difficult in a lot of ways depending on what you do. But living the life you want to live earlier, I think, is a new... More and more thing, common theme I hear from employees, right? And participants in 401ks are no longer looking at that as some big golden nugget they're going to save. They're they're trying to figure out how can I make my life better now and still have something ready when I can't work, when there's no income.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. like Even with the sabbatical and being in Hawaii, it's truly hard, at least for me, to really disconnect. I would still open to my email every morning, see what pressing stuff I needed to do, even though I wasn't working per se uh, I wasn't billing anything but I couldn't fully disconnect but that's okay with me because I was still able to during that couple hours in the morning really dedicate to myself whatever I was doing for work during the couple hours in the afternoon I was really able to focus on my family and kids but the other big reason why we were in Hawaii is the Ironman World Championships are in Kona Hawaii so we end up uh, being an elite Ironman athlete I thought what better way to train for the World Championships then train in Hawaii, which is comparable to living on the surface of the sun. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it was good to do some training out there and I really got some good exposure to the elements and I had uh, one of my best races in uh, the World Championships uh, this past October. And then after that, um, we wrapped up our time in Kauai. We did a little um, location assessment, I guess, to figure out where exactly we we're gonna live and ultimately, uh, Utah won us over. The mountains were definitely uh, calling us home. And, you know, we've been here since January. And um, I've loved every single day so far.
0: Yeah, that's funny. The way that you approached your decision to move to Utah, I mean, you have, my wife has family here. But the, I think the location assessment, like, I mean, that's kind of what you did mm-hmm. for businesses in your career, which I think is, is interesting, the way that you just looked at everything, tried a few places, and then ultimately ended up here. And so you had an eight-year career like, at, with, with Deloitte. So yep. one of the big four accounting firms that you're in the consulting side. So there's actually a couple other. So who are the top six? So there's EY, PwC, Deloitte.
1: McKinsey's. So the big six for consulting and the big four for accounting are different because they focus on different skill sets and um with the big four you're more focused on having your cpa versus the big six is more around uh management experience having your mba that's what so they, mm-hmm. they approach the skill sets differently however they're both very demanding and dynamic fields to be in because you're working with these major companies that have major accounting and finance challenges that they're not able to dedicate their resources, their time, their capital to. So that's why they bring on these advisors, these consultants, to really help um, make their operations more cost-efficient cost efficient to mitigate any risks that come with uh, implementing a solution or anything else.
0: Yeah, when someone says, I'm a consultant, I mean, that. that's such a broad term. I mean, I, we use it in the same. In my industry, we, we consult. We, we're here to bring... I think a, lot, a wealth of experience, and that's kind of where your path took you, even though you have your degrees in, what, finance? So, yeah. I triple majored at accounting, finance, and marketing, because I had no idea what I wanted to do. So, I love that um, had the marketing mixed in. That, to me, is, is always a good move. I think I
1: had to be the only person who did <laughs> accounting and marketing. I remember my, my guidance counselor was like, are you sure you don't want to do accounting and finance? I'm like, I don't even want to do accounting, but... I think accounting, it really helped me understand the foundation of business, I'm really glad I did accounting, hence why I moved forward and got my CPA. But what I liked most about marketing is the fact that you're focused on um, the client experience, right? Those uh, Those personable type skills that I think are very challenging to teach in school. That's why I think a lot of people study communications or marketing, but it's hard to really succeed the way that you want to because those little niche skills that you can't learn in schools come with experience and the way I look at it's like you either have it or not it's tough to to whether you have a customer or client it's really tough to sell confidence to not not sell I don't know if that's the appropriate word but to instill confidence in that person that you're talking to because if you're paying someone that amount of money you want to feel comfortable that they know what they're doing with your company's money, your personal loan money, whether it's your 401k, your capital investments for your firm, whatever. You want to have that level of confidence that you can take it, move it to someone else, and you trust the decisions that they're doing.
0: Yeah, I see there's a lot of parallels between what you were doing from this high-level, you know, major, major size companies that I, I don't deal with, but the same mindset of I got to go in and I got to do a good job and I have to give them advice to make a big decision which is going to be very expensive and they're paying me to do that. As a 401k advisor, it's a similar thing but you're in this really small piece to the puzzle of, of keeping and retaining talent. But overall, you have to come in and, and market yourself. They have to they have to trust and, and know that you're there and build that relationship so that you can continue to give them good advice. And so there's a ton of, of similarities, I think, into what we were doing, uh, what we do on a daily basis. And, and I think that um, it's, it's interesting because the 401k, we always kind of, I think his advisors get lost sometimes in the weeds, and we don't really look outside of our industry. We only stick with our own little group, and so I love to bring people like Colony around because it's a very better, it's another perspective that I haven't thought through. And so one of the things I want to talk to Colony today about is, um, is his experience. Now, Deloitte has about 7,000 uh, participants in their plan, it's another cool thing. When you have a, a 401k plan, I don't know if you know this, over 120 people, you have to pay for an audit. And, and they go through and kind of do this whole analysis. So I get a lot more data on a big plan. So Deloitte has $7 billion in their 401k. They have 7,000 participants. They do their, for, their plan through Vanguard directly. So when you get to those mega plans like that, advisors like myself aren't, aren't really a part of that. It's more of a full team that I think Vanguard would send to Deloitte and talk about the plan and probably do a full deep dive into numbers, um, probably once a year at most, maybe twice. But it's a different experience for him in the fact that my plans, I, all my participants know me personally. They, they see my videos. They meet with me face-to-face. I mean, I'm able to do that. For him, though, I want to know the, your experience because you already have a tax background, a little bit of you your CPA. You know kind of the whole reason behind a 401k from a financial standpoint. However, that doesn't really mean that you handled your 401k to the best you thought you could. And I want to know kind of what that experience was like from a mega Plan and and, and how to kind of learn from those experiences as advisors for whatever our niche is?
1: Yeah, that's that's essentially a very good question. You know, having that accounting background, I know how to account for um, standard IRAs. If the money goes into a Roth IRA, I know how to do the accounting for major corporations that have these retirement plans. However, when it came to how should I manage my money, I had zero idea. I started. I started on google the first thing i saw was if your company's gonna match max out that max amount that they will match i'm like all right deloitte does x percent i'm going to do that i think deloitte
0: does 25 percent of the first six yep so it's a one and a half percent match of what six percent they put in so you probably figure that out put your six in yep get your one and a half from them yep. and as you work up the ranks they have other kind of profit sharing that they do from their plan design that i can see, but. Yeah, so you took the first step. I think that's smart, but you had to learn it on Google, not yeah, from on Google, and then <laughs> from HR. Or after person.
1: honestly, the only guidance that at least I, I think I got uh, was the fact that you should increase your percent this much next year, and it was always increased by one percent. I think the eight years I was at Deloitte, I don't think it. The only guidance was increased by one percent next year, and like, okay, let's do one percent. Uh, but ultimately, I was uh being rather aggressive with my 401k I was investing I think I went up to 16% in my 401k just That's awesome. Too yeah. like the, how many
0: people do that? That's pretty rare.
1: Yeah, I, well I, I did a budget analysis, right? <laughs> just <laughs> trying to see like okay, this much money's coming in, this much money's going out for expenses, this much money is left over. I'm going to save this much for my two kids what am I gonna do with the rest of this uh, money? Some I pulled away for um, investing in funds with TD Ameritrade. The other, I was like, you know what, let's be. Did you
0: roll it out to in-service distribution to an IRA? Yes. Okay,
1: yeah. And then, um, so with the rest uh, amount of money, I was like, let's increase whatever I can in my Vanguard account. And it wasn't until, I'll be honest, until last year that I started doing supplementary analysis beyond matching 6%. And that's when I started like, okay, what should I, should I be putting everything in? The only options was a Roth IRA or a standard uh, 401k. Yeah, you need like, both the
0: Roth and yeah. the traditional. And how did you determine? <laughs> Probably
1: that? not the best, but I, I was asking my fellow coworkers who were about <laughs> my age. But the thing is yeah. like my coworkers aren't, uh, 30 with two kids. My coworkers are 30, single, living their time of their life in Chicago. Uh, so we have different priorities. So wh- how they were approaching their retirement was different than mine. Uh, ultimately, to be on the safe side, I just split it down the middle, did 8% in Roth, 8% in um, Standard, and that's just how I kind of approached it. But it was a very... Um, hands-off type approach we vanguard you know they were doing what they were doing i was being aggressive with my 401k with the funds that i chose and other than that i didn't have much guidance and uh it was something that i kind of had to research on my own and just
0: uh did they offer like was working out like remote meetings or any kind of uh, like wellness like different did you ever see emails about hey there's a 401k zoom meeting you can jump on or anything like that or was it all kind of just online and Go check it out, and there's tools. I,
1: I'm sure there were lots of tools available at our disposal, but it was one of those that I had to kind of go you after. You'd have to, like really Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, like, I had a lot of other priorities. I think I could have been more strategic with the way I approach my 401k, but hindsight's twenty twenty, 20 and,
0: um, I, like I said, I had other things that I was focusing on. Yeah, you're focusing on your job. I and mean, that's the whole point is... Even someone as experienced and knowledgeable in finance as yourself, the 401k you knew was important, so you took enough to take action, put money in, but coming to the determination, should I do Roth or traditional? I see that all the time, people just split it. I want a little bit of both. Even people that are in the highest tax bracket, because there's a tax bracket question, and it's knowing what would be the most effective for me and how would I navigate the tax laws later when I want to spend it. But very few plans actually dive into that participant outcome after you're out of the plan. we don't we don't do a good job of of educating people on that because we just rely on advisors to help them and that's where you know there's a big disconnect so that's really I'm glad you share that because that I had kind of a similar experience long ago in my career when I worked at Goldman Sachs similar model like I knew there was some money going in but I didn't really put enough effort into it even though I was a financial advisor (laughs) so Um, yeah, so I don't want to, we don't have to go much more into that if you want. Um, I think it's helpful just to kind of get your perspective on that, but I want to switch gears, go back to kind of where, where the next chapter of clothing is is taking you. I, when I look at LinkedIn and I see a lot of the people that I'm working with and connected with, the first kind of step is, is working with a huge firm like that. I mean, I, I had that experience. I think a lot of people do, and I see some very successful executives that are running their own companies or high up in another company that have spent some time you spent eight years at Deloitte Mm kind of got a wealth of experience even internationally which I think is a great perspective what what are you kind of what do you want to do next have you had much time you're you're kind of in this mode of of transitioning from Deloitte and going into something else what are you kind of seeing yourself wanting to do
1: that that's a good question and you know like how I started this interview podcast it was I had no idea what I wanted to do in college that's why I triple majored I had even after 8 years of having worked with major companies on some of the big carve out transactions uh, location assessments portfolio decisions that they've made with their real estate for example it's I'm still not sure what I want to do They, they say that one year of consulting is comparable to about three, four years in the industry. And I, and I never really understood that until my first major project where I had to present findings and solutions to the CFO. I, 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 that was mind-boggling to me because pre, like straight out of college, I worked with United Airlines for a year. And pretty much the only interactions I ever had was I would do analysis findings observations and a path forward to the senior manager that senior manager would work with the director the director would work with the managing director and there was multiple levels with Deloitte and their advisory and consulting practice it was the first time where I was you know CFOs of these fortune 500 companies are asking for my opinion mm-hmm. what they should do to improve their operations and it was at that point that I finally understood, like, okay, this makes sense why one year of experience in the industry is comparable to three, four years, or sorry, vice versa, one year of consulting advisor experience comparable to three, four years in the industry because you get that management lead, uh, leadership exposure that you wouldn't get elsewhere. You get to have the entire books, or you get interviews with stakeholders that are essentially running the operations of the company and you really understand what makes a company run. And it's not only for one company, it's multiple companies. A lot of my projects range anywhere from two weeks to as much as a year. And um, over the years, I definitely have seen a lot of uh, that exposure, and it's been very interesting.
0: And I think... You usually think big, huge companies are got everything figured out. That's what I was a mind-opening for me, is the bigger company I went and worked for, worked with, they have less things figured out, there's more problems. There's still, every single day, it's chaos in departments and someone like your help that has an outside perspective can really help them hone in on what they gotta decide to do and how to, make, how to pull the data in to make those decisions. Because yeah. life's a, a whole game of decision making with the information you have at the time. So the more information you have, the better decisions you ultimately can make, but they could still be completely wrong. So I think that's awesome. Your experience there, that's really, I think, been a valuable thing to do a ton of different things. Like I think you've got so much ahead of you, um, and, and the cool thing is along the way, now you've learned more about just how a business operates, so you can apply that in many different principles.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think going forward, I'm excited to get a little bit more involved with uh, data analytics, because companies gather so much of this data, but they're not really sure what to do with it, or how to move forward, or what kind of smart decisions to really make. Um, so I'm excited to really work with companies, understand their data, help with strategic planning, forecasting, to really understand what that path forward looks like, but also helping leaderships understand how viable some of these solutions are to go forward and have that transparency and really understand if something is going to be successful before they've gone too far down the wrong whole like i was i was listening to um a different podcast recently and it was it was called uh solutions or uh failing for solutions and like that's common right like you want to fa- fail as fast as you can but this company uh, i think it was a division of google they were giving bonuses and raises to employees that were failing their projects first
0: yeah i remember i think it's google x
1: yeah google x it was one of the ted talks yeah and i was like man can you imagine like being in a room (laughs) and being like i have done so good on this project this project has been going on for a year but jake's project failed within a week and he's the one that's getting this raise because the innovation that they're working with it's major projects. Yeah, he pushed it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, if Jay can fail faster, that's, he's a resource that they can dedicate to something else, to possibly getting to that finish line for a, an innovation right. that will actually change the world faster. And I just thought that was interesting. Like, I've always known, like, fail often and fail fast, but it wasn't until you kind of understand about the innovative side of a major company like Google X and what they're accomplishing. So...
0: Um, and just moving forward, I mean that's the whole idea is you're gonna fail and, and in my industry, like everybody still just follows the same path. We, we pull the 5500 data, we know which plans we want to target and then we just cold call it. Like Everyone's stuck in this rut and we're so afraid to get out there and actually try something new because we're afraid what someone will say about our video or whatever. And those are the most successful businesses. You, just, you look at the history, the ones that were able to take some risk Maybe they had to pivot. Maybe they don't talk about all the failures. They talk about the successes because they have a lot of success because they failed a lot. So, uh, yeah, that's a really good um, – I could go on and on about that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and honestly, like – so to, to kind of give some perspective, I've been with Delight for all this time. My major project just ramped up. We helped a major company on the East Coast with um, a location assessment, and we analyzed their portfolio to help them understand – Uh, consolidation opportunities, some action items that they can take to lower some of their overall real estate costs. And ultimately we end up saving them, um, depending on the actions that they take in the foreseeable future, anywhere between seven to twelve million dollars per year over the next five years. So that's a huge savings for them, right? Over a two and a half month long project. Um, But with everything kind of going on with COVID and clients being unwilling to invest their capital at the moment, uh, I was not billing at the moment, so I was like, go by Deloitte, which it's tough, I understand. Um, but at the same time, a lot of people are like, oh, how are you doing? Like you have all this experience. And to be honest, I've, I've been working since I was 15, like at the pizza place on the street. I've always had to work just because it keeps me busy, keeps me engaged, whether it's a pizza place or Deloitte Consulting. Uh, but everyone's like, oh, are you worried? To be honest, it hasn't, um, it's definitely set in, um, but it's not something that I'm stressed about, at least at the moment. It's one of those things that I think about. It's how you respond to the challenges, right? Like you're tested not when things are going great, because it's easy. When things are going good, everything's easy. You can call those challenges, but when things are hard, when things really get difficult, I think that's how you kind of see a person for who they really are and how they're really able to react when they're in that discomfort zone, right? Like so when I, Like when I'm
0: running hills. Exactly,
1: like <laughs> when I'm running with Jacob Hills. Um, so that's why I'm not stressed, I, um, I'm i not worried, I, I feel like I've a lot of... I think of... This,
0: the timing of that's I mean the experience you were working through as far as helping assess the real estate decisions of a large corporation, that is critical right now in a lot of businesses there's probably something you can do with that with COVID and, and everyone's remote I mean we're going to see a huge shift I think to remote working and what does that mean for all this real estate that's out there that businesses own or have leased or uh, getting the plan together how to work through that I mean there's probably something there to explore too Oh, I, I, but, I, a lot of it
1: like we helped with an uh, eminence project right before I was like oh we're, we're helping um, put together some type of uh, um industry perspective or point of views, as they're called, to help companies understand what the heck does COVID mean for my workplace? What does it mean for all these facilities that I have? Am I going to be able to use any of these facilities? What's the future of a workplace going to look like? Do Jake and I have to have cubicles more than six feet apart? What about elevators? How many elevators do we need in a building? And Is there gonna be different shift work? Is there gonna be uh, people that come in every other week? So there's a lot of moving pieces and this is something unique. It's not something we can compare to the Spanish flu because it's 2020, things have changed so much since we had a major pandemic like that. And I I think it's an interesting time and a lot of companies are going to need need to adapt. And um, I, I think it'll be, start started con- COVID time, yeah.
0: consulting, and that's your
1: yeah, right? Go. Pandemic consulting, 101.
0: <laughs> Seriously though, I mean, that, even I was talking to someone else. They're talking about not kids are kids not knowing facial expressions because we're all wearing masks when we see each other. Like, you can't tell someone how they're reacting to something as easy as we could before this pandemic. Uh, that's something you don't really think about after effects of that. My kids have been really good about masks. They haven't been. Like fighting it, there if they're on board. They they'll actually fun. It's fun to them to put them on, and go to the store. But um, will that continue? Is this something that we'll just see as like we always have a mask with us? Who knows? But from a workplace standpoint, uh, it's tough for a lot of different businesses, a lot of different career paths where you have to be in the office. Um, I, I think that's I think that's
1: one of the pros that's going to come out of this that people will understand the benefit of remote work, people invest so much time, whether it's commuting, getting ready for work. The standard nine to five can be such a challenge for people. The way I look at it is, yeah. you know, we're adults, I know that in business I need to accomplish X, Y, Z, or my responsibilities are gonna fall behind, the project's gonna be delayed, etc. And if I'm not accomplishing these things in an appropriate amount of time, it's gonna become apparent whether it's to management, to our client whatever it's going to become apparent and if you can't get your stuff done and it's become apparent you're going to be like oh you're not able to produce however i don't think that needs to be accomplished through nine to five we have so many responsibilities outside of work that if you're not handling that appropriately you kind of don't have the mental well-being so it's nice to be able to wake up get done what you need to get done spend some time with family do some type of uh well-being workout whether it's a yield class or run uh whatever there's the way i look at it you're good at that Setting
0: priorities scheduling it out telling others this is what i'm doing and communicating it Mm -hmm. right that's the key is the communication factor and as as advisors that's a huge that was a big push for me to launch 401 jake was all right now i can't go do my face-to-face meetings now i can't take prospects to lunch how am i going to connect with people and still be personal to where they feel like they're getting that attention, and there's technology now to do that, but it's gonna take some work. You have to manipulate and change how you are, you're in your normal day-to-day. Your, your old habits have to become different, and that's hard to change, but communication is gonna be the critical part to that whole shift to tell others how you are going to be doing what you do to help bring value to them in their lives. And yeah. you're awesome at, I think, just scheduling your day.
1: Yeah, I'll be honest beef I've been working remotely if I'm not a client I'm working from home uh, so I've been able to work remote the past eight years and I feel like I've excelled at it um, however once COVID started and everyone else was working from home it became so much more stressful for me just because others that weren't working from home before weren't used to it weren't really sure how to approach it so they weren't respecting boundaries there was more meetings and it was Starting to become a strain on my mental well-being because my client was on the east coast, so I'm having meetings from six o'clock and all the way till nine o'clock working with people going on on the west coast. So there was a lot going on and a lot of moving pieces, and you know everyone's like, "Oh, working from home is great. I have so much free time." It's like because you're still adapting versus me. I'm trying to pick up all the extra slack of everyone else working with people that aren't used to working from home. Yeah. So I, I think a big part of it is being detail oriented, setting a long-term plan, but also having those short-term goals and what those accomplishments need to be and making sure that you're communicating appropriately, uh, staying in touch, but not only with the business, but with your wife, your family, your yeah. friends. And because there's a lot of moving pieces in our lives and we need to have that attention to detail and that communication in all aspects without overwhelming ourselves
0: yeah totally totally agree all right Claudine. well i uh i really appreciate you taking the time today um i'm doing whatever i can to to connect you because i think whoever you go to work with however that pans out i think they're going to get ton of value from having you on their team and so I'm excited I wish I could pull you into Forum ks exclusively but I don't know if that's your your jam yet um, but I think uh, yeah you've got a ton to give and a ton of experience even like you said eight years but and as a consultant that's even uh, a lot more bigger multiple of the experience you have and things you can do to help so um, reach out to Chloe if you know uh, someone looking for some help in some of these areas I mean um, he's definitely out actively meeting with different people, interviewing, so uh, I wanted to have him on here today, not because of that, but more because I wanted to hear his story of kind of how he became, what he, what he was doing, um, but also kind of his experience with the big brand like, De- like Deloitte with their mega plan. I think that's good. a good thing for us to think about as we work on our own 401k business, as you as a wholesaler, if you're watching this, as you work to connect with advisors and, and really help them hone in on who they're helping. If you are trying to work your way up the channel all the time, know that the 4 k industry as you get to bigger plans changes dramatically. He never really got to see anybody face to face, there was a lot of tools and technology, but it was still kind of on his own. Um, so one way you can add value no matter what size you're in is create this environment where you can have that personal touch. And that doesn't mean you sit on the phone all day long, that means you use technology to give out good content to people and, and find ways to connect with them. So. That's a big push that I'm doing with 401 Jake to help people understand how to do that. And uh, if you have questions or want to meet Claudine, just connect with him. Um, I'll put his link in here in the the notes. So thanks, Claudine. Anything to add? No, my pleasure. Thanks. Okay, we got to get done so he can get back to his kids and maybe we'll sneak a swim or ride in sometime. I don't know. We always squeeze stuff in whenever we have a free minute. Okay. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Claudine's a good, good friend, and I'm really excited for what the future holds for him and his family. I want to remind you, July 17th is the next club sesh. This one is going to be key for you because we're going to talk about record keeping due diligence. Now, I've been six years into this exclusive 401k world, and I'm still trying to iron out my process with 401k record keepers. They're always changing. It's a moving target. You need to know every single thing about them so that you can advise and help your clients. We're also going to dip our toe into a little bit of language, kind of how to manage uh, participants that don't speak English and how we can better support them and help them take advantage of this tax plan. So make sure you're there. Sign up at uh, 401jake.com.